You know, why would you want to compete when you can dominate? What's shaking? Welcome back to All In. I'm your host, Rick Jordan. Today, get ready for this because I've got Brent Weaver. What's shaking, bud? Not too much. Great to be here, Rick. Awesome. Awesome. You have a coaching program for digital agencies. You've had a digital agency yourself. We're going to talk a lot about digital marketing today. And there's some really cool things because you are the guy. I, I appreciate the uh, the vote of confidence. We've been doing this for a while. I've helped thousands of, of businesses in our space and happy to share any insights or knowledge of that journey with your your audience today. That's awesome. You know, because when you had a, a digital agency, you were you grew that thing to seven figures. But man, I mean, just the accolades. I mean, working with Dish, Anheuser-Busch, InBev, Adobe, those aren't small clients, bro. We did have a lot of small local clients, but we also were kind of fortunate to work with some major brands. I tell people that I had business meetings in tiny little kitchens in a you know an RV or a mobile home for a brand new startup that was trying to get off the ground, all the way up to you know these big immaculate Adobe campuses where we're going in and pitching to their you know vice presidents that are running billions of dollars in revenue for those businesses. I love that. When you're talking to digital agencies these days, man, what's what, what are you diving into? We talk talked a little bit about this pre-show too, just, uh, you know, finding your niche, right? But everyone talks about that, but I don't know if anyone actually understands really what that means. <laughs> it's fun because it's like a, almost a cliche these days, right? But you really just go out of the, out just after that hardcore, don't you? Yeah. I mean, I think with, uh, what's happened in uh, the the last year? I guess I can't fall back on, well, it's crazy 2020, right? We don't know what this year is going to, uh, have in store, but I think, Last year was uh, a big wake-up call for a lot of people that didn't have a really well-defined audience for their business, whether they're an agency or another kind of business out there, right? If you don't have that group of people that's like your your community, your ideal customer, and you're out there trying to help guide them through challenging times, uh, I think if you don't have that, you might find that you don't really know who you serve. And if you don't know who you serve, a lot of things in your business, I think, are a lot more difficult in terms of, you know, where are these people? What should my marketing say? Right. What are my ads supposed to say? How do we really get inside the head of a customer that we're really not sure about who is our customer? So whenever we're going in and helping people, we always start with that who component first, like really getting clear about who your ideal customer is and then becoming an expert in that person. That's awesome. You really dive into this, don't you, in your book. It's get rich in the deep end, right? That is uh, that is our book. We, we launched it in October, uh, hit bestseller on a few categories in Amazon, and it's been really cool to see uh, see agency owners and some other non-agency businesses pick up the book and apply the concepts uh, to their business. That's really fantastic, man, because I'm sure you've had this huge span when you had a digital agency. You're talking about small businesses, you know, the, which a lot of those you might say service niche markets, right? But I'm assuming even when you're working with the big ones, you know, Anheuser-Busch and Dish, there's got to be an avatar that those big corporations have too, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, even just thinking about the types of people that you're selling to within those organizations. So for example, if I'm working with a restaurant owner, the types of pains, problems, frustrations, wants, aspirations that they have is very different than a CMO 
at a, you know, large, uh, you know, nine figure type business, um, you know, they're, they're very different types of challenges that they're facing. So when you're going in and creating marketing to try to attract more CMOs and you're trying to create marketing, you know, versus creating marketing material or messaging to attract a restaurant owner, right? Like that material needs to be drastically different, not to mention your service offering, your sales process. You know, I can go to a a locally owned independent restaurant that was very successful and I could, you know, I knew how to sell to those types of people. And it's a very different sales process than with Adobe where the deal that we landed with them uh, took over a year and, you know, probably dozens of of meetings and appointments uh, to, to, uh, to sell that deal. Um, versus a restaurant, I could go in and, you know, close the deal within one or two appointments. <laughs> Don't you love those where the sales cycle is just shortened quite a bit? I mean, you... different in size of, of, of income for me, right? Different of between like $10,000 and like, let's just say a lot more than $10,000. Yep. <laughs> you know, so knowing who your people are, and, and that changes over time. I, I tell people yeah. the, the market I serve right now is my 13th niche that I've focused on as an entrepreneur. Wow. Wow, that's a, so you've morphed over time too then because you're saying that your niche or really if I can call it your avatar, you know, your ideal customers changed over the years then too. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, as, as my business has changed, so I, you know, used to run a very different business. Um, and then also within that business, I think you find that there might be, you know, through experimentation, through uh, being able to have opportunities to serve different types of customers, you might realize, hey, this type of customer we really excel at serving. And uh, in, in our community, we have this, this phrase called PETA clients, uh, pain, in the, pain in the ass clients, right? Uh, you might have these clients that no matter how many of them you sign, like your team doesn't really jive with them. So there's sometimes we'd go after a niche and we'd be really strategic about it. We'd sign a bunch of clients in a specific market, but then we found that you know whether we couldn't serve them or get them the results we thought we could or that our team didn't actually like serving them. And that gets hard, right? Do you then, you know, do you change your team or do you change your market? And sometimes maybe the answer is change your team. You know, for us, we decided that, hey, we had other types of pockets of customers that we worked really well with. So we kind of focused, you know, started to pivot or tack into those spaces. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've heard that acronym that way, man, PETA clients. Yeah, we were talking yesterday because I had a, a fun individual on the show who developed this device that does these micro vibrations on your head and calms and anxiety, you know, stimulates those modulation points of the brain. And it was a joke then around the studio. It's like, hey, we need to get th- one of these things for this specific client. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, and just tell them to put it on for 20 minutes before we talk to them that day. You know, <laughs> he's just calmed down. Yeah, a bit. You know, you might not have an ideal customer if you're asking them to put on a biohacking device <laughs> yeah. prior to your meeting, right? <laughs> For sure, exactly. Well, man, I, there's there's so much, you know, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here, you know, and of course, I'm on your side of the table with this, but man, why wouldn't you want to to just cast a wide net, you know, and try to scoop everybody into that when you're going after with your marketing, with your with your client base, everything, you know, why, why don't you want to do that? Well... So if, you know, I'll give a good, give a good example here. So imagine you're a, and and we'll use restaurants just because I mentioned it already, but imagine you're a restaurant owner and you're looking to hire a marketing agency and you, you know, put an RFP out there or you go and contact, you know, a dozen different marketing agencies and they're going to come in and give a presentation to you. Right. And so on the one hand, 
um, a generalist, somebody who does not know, you know, that does not have a master's degree in the niche, that's not all in on that market. Um, you know, when they go into to do a pitch, they're going to talk about, you know, their overall agency process. They're going to talk about their team. They're going to talk about the scope of work. And they might talk a little bit about the results that they'd like to get this restaurant. Like maybe they have another similar client where they can say, hey, we can help you grow your business, right? Uh, compare that kind of pitch to uh, an agency that goes in and pitches the restaurant and says, um, hey, uh, restaurant owner, you know, first of all, I know right now COVID has been a massive disruption for your business. And a lot of your uh, in-person business has probably shifted to delivery and to takeout business. You might have been prepared for that or not. If you are doing takeout and delivery, you're probably getting eaten alive by Uber Eats and Grubhub's fees. And while they can drive a lot of traffic to you, you might actually want to convert some of that traffic to your own platform where you're not giving up 30%. Let me walk you through our <clears throat> restaurant growth engine. Let me show you a couple of case studies where we've helped over 50 restaurants to triple their delivery and takeout business while regaining that profit that you're losing to Uber Eats and to Grubhub. So, you know, end scene. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. that imagine that scenario playing out no matter what niche we're talking about, whether it's doctors, dentists, uh, you know, click funnels, funnel builders, coaches, influencers, authors, right? If you're a business selling anything to somebody and you know them so well, and you understand not just like the surface level stuff, but you know, like what they're thinking before they go to bed at night, you know what their diary looks like and their day looks like, and you know what software and services and people that they have around them. Not only does your, your marketing get really uh, dialed, but your offers and how you sell um, gets really dialed. One of, one of the guys we had on our, our program recently, he talked about when he goes in and uh, in their, their hyper niche agency. And when he goes and does sales training for his salespeople and they do live sales calls together, right? They'll like basically be in a room together and their salespeople will go and, and do calls with prospective customers. And he will literally like write on uh, an iPad, right? Or write on a whiteboard what the prospect is about to say. <laughs> nice. And, and, you know, and then he'll kind of write, you know, what the core objection, right? Use this objection handle or you use, you know, they need to, we need to sell them this offer, not this offer. And so that, that, that to me is, is an unfair advantage. And when you're a generalist or where you really don't, you kind of serve tons of different types of people, um, while there might be some advantages to that and there, there are, uh, you know, there are, it's not like it's all weaknesses, right? There are some strengths to, to having a diverse type of customer base. But I think the advantages of being hyper niched are just, it creates an unfair scenario when it comes to marketing and selling to that, that list of people. Yeah. It's fantastic too. Cause that's what everybody wants is to have that unfair advantage. You know, why would you want to compete when you can dominate? That's a one thing that I always love to, to go after. So this year, you know, it was funny how you said, you know, we can't even say, oh, it's just 2020 anymore because it's not, you know, we have no idea what's coming up this year. It's kind of cool because it's like a clean slate, right? But then we look at this past year and there's a lot that's changed that's going to have these sort of aftershocks going into the remaining of 2021 and also into the following years, especially, man, you were, you were just hitting on it when you're talking about restaurants because the marketing message now is different. The way to win those deals for a digital agency is different now. You have to change your offer. You have to change the way you're presenting these things. What are the trends that you're seeing going through the rest of this year for digital agencies and how they need to focus to win these deals? 
Well, I think that for most, for businesses that are in the digital space, I, I think while COVID and all the other stuff that happened last year, kind of the reshuffling of like the world economy or whatever, I, I mean, at the end of the day, digital agencies overall fared pretty dang good. A lot of people started to take their the cash that they were making and invest that into uh, digital uh, digital ads, for example, last year, just digital ads um, usurped every other traditional marketing channel like TV ads, radio ads, print ads, et cetera, like combined for the first year in 2020, digital ads, businesses and organizations spent more on digital ads than all of those other types of advertising channels combined. Uh, and so that's, I mean, that that's great thing, right? There's kind of this, to some level, like a digital gold rush going on, businesses having to uh, migrate, you know, events having to go to Zoom events or, you know, online events, people having to leverage yeah. more, uh, you know, online is much more important. Like, whereas, and I'll just keep using the restaurant analogy, restaurants and other small businesses used to spend a lot of their money on location because foot traffic and people coming by the business was one of their biggest ways to advertise. Well, guess what? When people aren't walking by your business anymore, then that isn't as much of, yeah. of, of, a, of a thing, right? So people are pushing a lot more of their money to digital. A lot of things that people in my space, like web designers, digital marketers have been, you know, trying to educate their clients about for years, all of a sudden, a lot of people were willing to listen. Like there was people that just didn't care about their websites. And all of a sudden, 2020 was like finally the straw that broke the camel's back that all these, you know, local businesses, service pros, et cetera, finally were like, well, okay, maybe I do need to, you know, have a, have a good website. Oh, damn. This is coming out like 1992 or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like, dude, especially so, for some of the local breakfast places, I'm just throwing it out there. That's just how it is. Right. When, when you're like, you pull it up and you're like, wow, this is a, this geo city is that, I didn't yeah. know that existed. <laughs> for those, um, that's a good joke for those that are in the space. I like that. Thanks. <laughs> I think that for, for my, my clientele that something that became uh non-negotiable though, with that being said, right. So people are going to spend a lot, they're spending a lot more money on digital, but because of the challenges that businesses faced last year, there's been a lot larger emphasis on, results and whether a business can show a track record of getting their clients results. So I think that businesses and organizations are willing to spend a lot more money online, but at the same time, they're being a lot more critical of those investments. And they're not just saying, oh yeah, let's build a website for 50 grand and roll the dice and see what happens. They're saying, hey, if we're building a website for 50 grand, how is this going to get us a result? Is this the best use of our funds right now? You know, should we be looking at other options online? Should we be just looking at kind of a, a lightweight, really sophisticated funnel and in, in spending that money on advertising? Should we be looking at social media and messaging? Like, there's so many options now, but I think clients all in are looking at results that they can get and they're being a lot more critical about that. So as an agency, if you can show that you can get your clients results, even with COVID, right? Even with a restaurant niche or a doctor niche or a, a dentist niche where these niches that were really hard hit, if you can go into those markets and show them that you're helping people navigate this new economy and getting them measurable results, 
clients are going to line up and pay you. And if you can't show those results, then you're going to be like, oh, COVID's really disrupted everything. Oh, COVID, you know, COVID this, COVID that, right? Uh, but I, I look at my clients and say, look, that's just because you're not getting results. If you can't show that you can get results, then yeah, your clients are going to give you COVID as the excuse. But if you can show them the results, they'll find the money. And right now, right, there's there's a lot of access to capital. I think the government's made that um, easier for businesses. And so if you can show that you can get them, keep them in business, grow their business, I think that people can find the resources to pay you. That's huge too, because the customer perspective, when you're looking at results, I mean, I'll tell you, I'm not a digital agency. You know, I'm more of a media company that supplements a cybersecurity organization. And when I'm looking to acquire customers or build an online funnel or something like that, the only thing that matters to me is results from whoever I have as a marketing agency. You know, I don't care about how many impressions and all this other stuff. The only thing I really care about is freaking conversions, <laughs> sales, that's it. Because you can have the, the most beautiful funnel in the world, the, the prettiest website. If the thing doesn't freaking convert, who cares? And that's a thing with, you know, coming from the opposite side of this. And I love your approach to this, man, that you're looking at results first when it comes to a digital agency, because that's almost been like this aloof thing for years, hasn't it? With a lot of digital agencies coming from the other side of the table that, oh, we're just doing all these activities and this is just what it does. Oh, it takes time to build momentum and all these other things. But then nobody in that space likes to be, I shouldn't say nobody because you're the exemption, you know, you're like the 5% in that space, I think, that really, really care about the results, you know, and you're focused on that because you understand that that's all that really matters versus, you know, just saying that, oh, we're just going to keep drugging forward and nobody on paper will commit to results. It's the craziest thing. So how is that something that you see being important going forward and landing these deals for digital agencies is saying, can you commit to results ahead of time? Is that something that a digital agency can do? A, a specific measurable result saying, we're going to have this many conversions if you put in this many dollars. I, I think that if you, uh, so so if you are somebody who is hyper niched and you have a very solid proven process about how to get that type of customer, a specific measurable result. Like to me, that's the goal of, one yeah. of the goals of really, owning your market is that you could get to that point of being able to promise a measurable result. You ask any generalist agency whether they would be willing to put a guarantee on their project and the likelihood of them doing that is like, I mean, it's like less than 1%, right? I mean, if you're, if you go to a generalist web shop and you, you know, you who's willing to take any type of client and build any kind of website, you know, if you say to them, will you guarantee that I'm going to get the you know, the, the objectives or the measurables or the goals that we're all agreeing to are important for us. They're going to, they're going to laugh you out of the room. Um, if you are a hyper niched agency, uh, like one of my clients focuses on the registered financial advisor market, and he, he converted his business from general web design company to basically lead gen company for, for that niche. It was about a two year, uh, evolution, uh, to, to make that happen. And he's so good at that now. Now he uses website, content, LinkedIn, social media, right? Um, he uses a lot of the same things that he was building two years ago, but now he's got them built into a system to get a measurable result. He guarantees his clients 25 leads a month. Oh, I love or that. Or he buys yeah. them back from them, them, right? So that creates a really interesting sales scenario. Every time he goes and, and pitches his services, he has a guarantee that can back up his service to get that result. Uh, now, when he first started out, he wasn't that confident in being able to deliver on that. And so it was really difficult for him to 
uh, to be able to commit and actually guarantee that. But now he's got a system like he can look at. He's like, OK, well, I've gotten this. I've done this for 60 companies, you know, and you're 61. Right. Like we're, we're really confident we can get 61. So it's amazing if an agency, I think, can guarantee that kind of ROI or that specific result. Uh, but if you're hiring an agency and you're the one that's working with them to create those KPIs and you know, you've never gotten those KPIs for yourself and the agency doesn't necessarily, because I've never worked with a business just like yours or with the specific KPIs that you're, you're wanting in the way that you are, it might be hard for an agency to guarantee that. And so, and, and I don't think that means that you shouldn't hire an agency to do that. Right. Um, but I think what you can look at is, you know, have they gotten this result for other companies? How close have they gotten this to this kind of result for other companies? And am I willing to make a risk uh, to take a risk to do that? Right. Um, I think hiring an agency without a guarantee is, is kind of like hiring uh, an employee or a team. Instead of you going out and hiring 10 employees to help you with SEO or whatever, you know, you're hiring one agency and they're going to come in and they're going to you're going to get a, a little bit of each of their 10 people's time. Uh, which is still a good proposition for a business, right? Because going out and building your own SEO team is like probably not worthwhile, right? But just um, being looking at their past track record, right? How close is their track record to getting you those results? And uh, if you can work with an agency that can actually provide a guarantee, I think that's amazing. That's going to tell you that they're they're hyper niched and they serve your type of person. If that's not the case for you and your niche, and every every niche is going to be different, right? Some people have very specific needs, and they they aren't going to be able to find an agency that can put a guarantee. And I don't think I would rake the agency over the coals for that. Oh, no doubt. I'm playing devil's advocate on that because that's a that's always the the interesting part of this, right? And it's there's a phrase too that there's riches in the niches. I'm sure you've heard that one before, especially with what you do. And from what it sounds like, you know, at least what I'm extrapolating, maybe reading between the lines. And this is from the agency's perspective now that I'm talking. If there's an agency that is more broad based, they are not super niched. You know, it's if they can take this evolution like your like your friend did or one of your clients over that two year time period to where they become hyper niched, and now all of a sudden you're guaranteeing 25 leads a month, you buy them back. I would bet that your dude is charging way more money. For his for his services, his prices are sky high. He's a premium now at this point because he hyper focuses on that versus just a general broad agency. So he's probably making more money, higher margins because it's a very specific service and something that he can guarantee. Yeah, I mean, it's like being in the you know selling, uh, being in the in the tire business versus being in the I'm going to invent the first wheel, right? I mean. You know, if you're if you're reinventing the wheel and 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 every wheel that you make is different and unique, uh, it's very difficult to scale that. And every project, every client that you're making this bespoke solution for is taking up a lot of you know your team's time and probably your time as kind of the wizard, the the wizard wheel maker, right? Versus you know Firestone or whatever, they they crank out wheels, they have their A models or whatever, and they they're able to create really profitable leverage systems. And and what I think, you know, you mentioned that phrase riches and niches. I think a lot of people don't understand like economies of scale very well. I think as humans, it's really hard to understand like what is like in, in social media and like internet advertising, all this kind of stuff, it like desensitizes us to it. Like I have an ad that we run for our webinar that a hundred thousand people see. When I see it in Facebook as ad manager, you know, in like a week or two, right? A hundred thousand impressions or whatever. Like a hundred thousand. 
I don't like, I mean, I see that number and I'm like, oh, we got 110,000 this week or 105 or 100. You know, it's like you're kind of desensitized to it. We do a conference every year where we have like 200 agencies that come out to, to Denver and like 200 people in a room is a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 100,000 people is like, I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's crazy amounts of people, right? And so as a business owner, you have to ask yourself like, well, how many actual clients do I need to have a, like if you're trying to grow a seven figure business, I mean, how many clients in your market do you actually need? I mean, if your projects are a hundred thousand, that's, you need 10 clients, right? If your projects are 10,000, you know, you need a hundred clients and a hundred clients actually isn't that many people. And if you can get that price to $20,000 in average spend per year, that means you actually only need 50 clients to serve as an agency. And and that, when we think about our, a niche, like doctors, dentists, lawyers, oh my God, you know, whatever. Yeah. They're all over. 50 people. Yeah. 50 people. Yeah. Like if we said, okay, how long would it take you? Maybe two or three years to get 50, an active book of business of 50 people that you're doing two grand, you know, 20 grand a year with uh, isn't super crazy. And and that I think is the hardest people when they're when they're building their business is they're they're really thinking small with like. They have a dozen clients or, or whatever, and they're from five different niches. Like, could they actually see themselves having 30 or 40 clients in a market? Uh, but the reality is, is there's in, in almost every niche out there, there's 50 successful businesses that would be yeah. happy to pay somebody, you know, three grand a month. Of course, they are out there. And that's the harder part about casting that wider net too, right? Because when you cast the wide net, at least from my opinion, and you're not hyper-focusing on really who your target audience is, if you cast that wide net, now you're going to pick up the junk too. I mean, just think about (laughs) about fishermen, right? They're going salmon fishing, whatever. You see these big nets coming up. I watched this video and it was crazy because all these salmon just jump on the boat, you know, on the deck and they're, they're putting them in the things. And I'm seeing these amazing, gorgeous, huge salmon. But then you see like these little scraggly things that are down there too. I mean, which one would you want? You know, is, is, <laughs> is there a way that you can, you know, just make the become more hyper niched and just focus on the ones that you really want, the clients that are going to be profitable because you're not just going literally after everybody. You know, that, I think there's an important lesson in that, man. But who knows when you're first starting out, though, maybe that's something to speak to. You know, when you're first starting out as a digital agency, how do you do that? Because you're just saying, I need money at that point. So how do you, how do, you do that? So we, uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different frameworks that you can use to, um, uh, find your audience, find your avatar. Right. Um, I think that I look at, uh, I use a couple of different frameworks with our, with our people. One is, you know, you mentioned, you know, money, obviously that's important. Yeah. Uh, if you're going after underwater basket weavers, um, maybe that's <laughs> how'd you pull that <laughs> with, with, with YouTube these days, I feel like any niche is, is, a. Uh, there's potential money in there, right? Because yeah, I mean, YouTube, totally, you know, every any person that has an interest in something, all of a sudden, like YouTube, is like uh, the great connector for for hobbies and uh, you know, people on there are making millions of dollars a year, like talking about things that are so so niched. Um, but I think money is is important, right? Does does a market have money? Are they willing to spend money? Because uh, sometimes those are two different things. There's a lot of niches out there where there's uh, there's clearly money. Um, you know, like legal is a good example. I mean, people talk about it all the time. Like, I mean, lawyers make a lot of money, 300, 400, 500, $600 an hour. Uh, but then their willingness to spend that money on marketing systems is, is, uh, is also, um, you know, the, there's at least a stereotype in my experience backs it up that it's hard to get yeah. them to 
separate their money because they're kind of uh, a lot of times in the legal niche in particular, it's a very, it's a professional services niche. The lawyer themselves is also usually in the business doing the legal stuff. So they look at most of that money coming in as like their salary and they want to minimize the amount of money they're spending as joint partners on the business. Right. So usually if you're going to go after a niche like that, you need to be working with law firms that have, you know, a handful of partners. Maybe there's multiple locations kind of stuff. Right. But money, having money, willingness to spend money, is important. Uh, another one is having an interest there. Yeah, yeah. I say, I say interest, not passion, because interest is. Uh, I think passion develops as you get results. Um, it's kind of like riding a bike for the first time. Like I'm interested in it. It looks like I'd like to learn how to ride my bike because it's going to give me freedom. But I'm not really passionate about bike riding yet because I don't know how to do it. So we need an interest, and then as you're working in your niche, you can start to develop passion. Right? As people come up to you and say, "Hey, Rick, you're." so amazing at cybersecurity or whatever, right? Like, I mean, it kind of like, that's going to fuel your ability to, to stay in the market. Uh, and the last thing is results. Can you get these people a measurable, quantifiable result? Uh, if you have those three things in a, in a market, then I think it's worth doubling down and it's worth spending time in there. If you are working with clients and you're getting them results, but even on your best day, there's like, there's no spark. <laughs> there's no interest. Yeah, you're like, yeah. If I have one more call with one of these types of businesses, like I'm going to freak out, <laughs> right? Like no matter how much strategy we put behind you, like if there's just not an interest or spark there, then it's, it's pro you're not gonna be able to sustain. Yeah. Um, if you hate it. It's a different story. There's a Mike Rowe. I'm sure you know who he is, you know, dirty jobs, Mike Rowe. Uh, there was yep. a quote I saw of him one time, you know, it was, uh, you know, it's like, well, how did you get to where you were? And I saw, I've seen him speak. I've met him and he said, you know, I found something that I was interested in that I was kind of good at. Then I learned to love it. Then I became rich. You know, so yeah. it, it was that middle section that really stuck out on me when he said, then I learned to love it. You know, so it wasn't something that he was necessarily, oh my God, this is the greatest thing. This is my dream, whatever it is. And just following that trajectory to just parallels exactly what you're saying, that there should be an interest regardless. Because if you're going to hate it, man, what's the purpose? There's a lot of markets out there. I mean, there's literally thousands and thousands of markets out there. And sometimes I even find that when people are, if they come into a market and they actually have a predisposed passion yeah. that's really hardcore about their market and then they start to work in the market um, instead of developing that passion further sometimes it actually ruins the the thing that they love yeah, uh, yeah. and this happens all the time people that have hobbies that love the hobby and then they turn the hobby into a business and then they end up hating the hobby uh, and so you know, sometimes that can kind of work against you in, 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 in some way. So having an interest, I think, is an important piece and then learning to love it uh, because, again, you're, you're, you're mastering something, right? Um, there's this, this um, a documentary called Happiness or Happy or something like that. And they talk about the three things that lead to more happiness and fulfillment in your life. Uh, one is deep relationships, not like weak tie relationships, but deep connections with other uh, other human beings. Uh, and also in, in, in some level of service with those people. Another is uh, autonomy. So having freedom and control over your day-to-day -day life, having some sense of autonomy. And then the other is pursuit of mastery. So getting good at something actually leads to a lot of fulfillment and, and happiness. So I think that that idea with where you end up niching, if you feel like you're going to get good at the niche and serving them, um, that's going to be a really good recipe for long-term success. 
For sure, my man. So, brother, your book is Get Rich in the Deep End. Where can everyone find that? Uh, Amazon. So just search for it. Get Rich in the Deep End dot com. Our website URL for the event or um, for the for the book is uh, ownyourmarket.com. Um, you can search Google also Get Rich in the Deep End. So ownyourmarket.com will link out to all the top booksellers if you're not an Amazon uh, customer. But if you are Amazon, just search Get Rich in the Deep End. That's cool. The last place I want to point people to, please, is you gurus. Tell, tell us a little bit about that, man, because you've just kind of sprinkled it, peppered it in across the area. So hardcore, what is it? Yeah, so we're a, a, a business school for digital agencies. So if you're an agency owner, uh, service provider out there, and you're looking to attract more leads, win more deals, deliver and delight for your clients so you can scale the freedom that you have as an owner in the business, then you gurus can help through our training programs, our community, and our coaching. Awesome. And everyone can find you at Brent Weaver on LinkedIn and yougurus.com, yeah? That's it. Awesome, brother. Man, I really appreciate our conversation. Thanks for allowing me to hit you hard with some devil's advocate stuff today. And I just had a good time. Hope you did too. Thank you. What's shaking? Thank you for joining me on the All In Podcast. Click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications. Text me, 312-535-8520. Follow me on social media, at Mr. Rick Jordan. See you next episode. I am Rick Jordan, and I approve this message.